I guess I took a view from a young age. I'm getting treated like a criminal, so I might as well start acting like one. And um, just, you know, uh, that police harassment was um, ongoing. And, and, and um, so, um, you know, and I used to see the blokes come home from prison, you know, and being fit and within weeks they got the nice cars, nice clothes, nice girls, nice everything, you know, and they, you know, they seem like they're having the time of their life. And, um, yeah. I was supposed to be like that, you know. I, you know, I remember my early role models were bank robbers in particular. You know, you everyone knew because they were the one they'd be out two weeks and they got the bread, the latest car, like the equivalent of the Mercedes Benz right now, and um, you know, and living large and, and not having a care in the world. And, you know, I watched my parents struggle. I watched my parents. They were both factory workers. My mum worked night shift in a plastic factory. My dad worked in a glass factory. And um, watching struggle, I didn't want to be that struggle. I didn't want to. You know, have to go to the fucking beach for a pack lunch, you know, and stuff like that. I, I, um, when I spied from point, you know, I started engaging in, like, you know, car stealing and petty theft sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. And, um. Around, around what age? Oh, 15. Around about 15 years old, you know. Yep. And, uh, I started engaging in that, and, um, you know, I was apprehended. And back then, they didn't have the, the diversion programs they have today, you know. It was like, you got pinched straight, straight to lock up, you know. Yep. And I went to the notorious Carrick Boys Home, which was a uh, subject of a 60 minute story because of, you know, the, like the systemic, you know, sexual and physical abuse that took place. You know, and I Very that notorious place, so, yeah. Really bad. And a lot of, you know, I, I look at a lot of, the, you know, people that are described as real bad people in society and, 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 you know, criminals in particular. And they were recipients of the abuse that happened in Derek. And you know, I think Derek created a lot of badness, created a lot of that bad vibration, and, and people went on after Derek to do some pretty heinous crimes. But um, and I and I attribute that to the systemic fucking sexual abuse in particular, and the brutality, the desensitisation. You desensitise a 15 year old kid, he ain't gonna go on to be fucking. You know, he, he's gonna be a fucking. And often a very violent person, and that was the case. Derek produced very, very violent people. Yep. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Tonksy Media Podcast. As I mentioned previously, I'll be stepping the game up a lot from here on in with some big names coming on the show. Today's guest being one of them. To say I'm honoured to have him share his story here today would be an understatement. This guy suffered a lot of trauma at a young age where he was a sexual abuse victim inside a Sydney boys' home. This lit a fire in his belly to become the best criminal he could. He became a notorious bank robber and served 23 years in and out of prisons throughout New South Wales and Queensland until one day he had a wake-up call inside a Brisbane jail cell where his life turned around. I'll let him continue the story. But guys, I introduce to you the man himself, Russell Manser. How are you, my bro? Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. No worries, bro. No worries. It's um it's been a long time coming. I just want to say, bro, I um I'm honoured to have you on, bro. You know, your story's become a pretty familiar story over the last few years. I'm a big fan of it. Um hence why I thought I'd uh, get you on to give my viewers a bit of an insight on on who you are and um, and what you do and stuff, bro. Where you've been? For sure, I appreciate I appreciate the offer. I mean, I love doing podcasts and I love spreading the message and um, something I'm really passionate about getting that message out. That you know, 
our survivors in particular who shouldn't suffer in silence, you know, and, and I'm here to help them start the healing journey at seven. I'm really yeah. passionate. I don't have to stop, you know. It's Sunday. I've been working, I work with three people today, you know, and uh, but it's not, you know, something's not a job, it's not work when it's a passion. Yeah. Know? That's awesome, bro. You know, especially, you know, coming from the, the life you've lived, bro. So let's, um, you know, let's let's take it back, Russ. We'll go back. Give us a bit of a give a bit of a rundown, a bit of an insight on you know a bit of your childhood and um and yeah where you come from and um and yeah we'll kick it off from there, bro. For sure. I, I, look, my parents are English immigrants. They came out in 1965. Brought out three boys and one girl. Were born in Liverpool, England. Me and my brother were born in Liverpool, Australia. So we're the only Aussies in our house. Youngest of six kids. None of them uh, ever uh, engaged in any, any social behaviour. Uh, behavior. I was the, you know, the black sheep of the family. And, um, you know, I grew up in a place called Mount Druitt. It's a low socio-economic area of the western suburbs of Sydney. Fibro, all housing commission house, houses. And, you know, people didn't have dreams and aspirations, you know. Yeah. Um, people were just you know, accepted their lot as working in a factory or having a trade at best, you know. And, um I knew from a young kid, uh, from a young age, I wanted more. I wanted more. I used to see, um, you know, I used to see the people up there going up the bus stops in the morning, jumping on buses to go to work in the factories, and they, they looked miserable. And, you know, and I had an awareness from a young age. I didn't want to live my life like that. And um, and I was always looking for a bit of excitement. And, you know, and then we started engaging, like, <clears throat> we'd go up the soccer fields just to um, – you know, have a fight, you know, uh, fight, just hang around a bonfire and had a bunch of kids and the coppers and start up and bashing us for no other reason than we're from Mount Druitt. And, you know, yeah, you know, and I, I guess I took a view from a young age. I'm getting treated like a criminal, so I might as well start acting like one. And, um, just, you know, uh, the police harassment is, um, ongoing. And, 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 um, so, um, you know, and I used to see the blokes come home from prison. You know, and being fit, and within weeks they got the nice cars, nice clothes, nice girls, nice everything. And you know, and they, you know, they seem like they're having the time of their life. And um, yeah, I supposed to be like that. You know, I, you know, I remember my early role models were bank robbers in particular. You know, you everyone knew because they, they were the one they'd be out two weeks and they got the bread, the latest car, like the equivalent of the Mercedes Benz right now. And, um, you know, and living large and, and not having a care in the world. And, you know, I watch my parents struggle. I watch my parents, they were both factory workers. My mum worked night shift in a plastic factory. My dad worked in a glass factory. And um, watching struggle, I didn't want to be that struggle. I didn't want to, you know, have to go to the fucking beach with a packed lunch, you know, and stuff like that. I, I um, And I aspired for more. And, you know, I started engaging in, like, you know, car stealing and petty theft sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. And um, around, around what age, then, like? Oh, 15, around about 15 years old, you know. Yep. And uh, I started engaging in that and, um, you know, I was apprehended. And back then they didn't have the, the diversion programs they have today, you know. It was like you got pinched straight straight for lockup, you know. Yep. And I went to the notorious Derek Boys home, which was a, a subject of a 60-minute story because of, the, you know, the, like the systemic, you know, sexual and physical abuse that took place there. And I Very notorious and place, eh, hey, like? Yeah. Really bad, and a lot of you know, I, I look at a lot of you know people that are described as real bad people in society, and, 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 and you know criminals in particular, and they were recipients of the abuse that happened in Derek. And you know, I think Derek created a lot of badness, it created a lot of that bad vibration, and and people went on after Derek to do some pretty heinous crimes. But um, and I and I attribute that to the systemic fucking sexual abuse in particular. Yeah. And the brutality, the desensitisation. You desensitise 
a 15 year old kid. He ain't going to go on to be fucking, you know, he, he's going to be a fucking, and often a very violent person. And that was the case. Derek produced very, very violent people. Yeah. Um, I was released from Derek with a void inside of me. And uh, when I say a void, I had a hole, man. I just, I was empty. You know, I was fucking in a world of fucking pain. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I started smoking a lot of pot and that sort of thing. It wasn't too long after I got out of Derek. I'd done an apprenticeship, Derek, how to steal porches and, you know, my criminal behavior escalated whilst in Derek, you know, um, can you I know, just ask, to, yeah. like, um, like obviously, personally, I've heard your, your your story throughout Derek Boy's home and stuff, bro. Can you yeah. just for the the viewers, um, my viewers that maybe don't know of you or haven't heard of you, can you give a little bit of an insight of like, um, you know, I know it's a shitty yeah. thing to talk about, but sure. um, what happened in there and stuff, bro? Sure, it was systemic. They're running a pedophile ring out of there. I have no doubt because a lot of the sexual abusers that were abusing the children there didn't work there. And you would see of a night time, you, you like had these dormitories and you'd see these men, often like five at a time, would come in through the back door of the dormitory and then they'd be walking around, uh, walking around the beds, checking out which kid they wanted to abuse and then waking the kid up and then taking them into the, uh, what's called the ablution block, is basically a toilet block and sexually abusing them in there. Sometimes they'd take them. I don't know. I never I never got taken out of there, but other kids would get taken out of the, the God knows where and then, you know, return. Um, I can remember, you used to be able to get weekend leaves and day leaves out of there. Pedophiles used to come and pick kids up and take them out for the weekend. You know, so, and that was like, you know, I can remember one bloke in particular was happening all the time and this bloke, you know, later was revealed as a really high profile pedophile. But, um, yeah, right. So, yeah, sexual, there was a lot of sexual abuse there. There was a lot of physical. And if you didn't conform or anything like that, you would get your head fucking punched in. They would just batter you. And um, they used to have a thing called the boob. It was a basically a segregation unit. Yep. They'd take you and flog the shit out of you so everyone towed the line. Um, at, at one stage, I escaped from Derek, you know, because of the abuse. And I wanted to stop. And um, I ran home, and, and oh, I didn't live too far away from there. It was about a 10K run. Yep. And I got home and, um, you know, they'd been there, my parents, they said, look, if you hand yourself in, we will, you know, we were not charging them. And my parents, my dad was pretty sick at the time and I just had an awareness. I didn't really want to hurt him. And um, I don't think he could take it. It was full of emphysema. And um, yep. so um, they took me back there. I copped the flogging on my life, more sexual abuse. And then I was later re- released from Derek. When I was released, as I said, I had that void. It would only be replaced by drugs. Now, I was a kid that was all, young age. I was a kid that really looked after myself. I was pretty fit. My, I had an older brother that was a really fit guy and always training. And, and I, I picked that up from an early age. And, um, and I never really, I never smoked a cigarette in my life. So, but I started smoking pot. Yep. And, um, and that sort of, sort of fulfilled that void a bit. You know, it was numbing me and that's what I needed to be. I needed to be numb. If it wasn't numb, I was going to react. I was going to explode and um, I had an awareness of that from a young age and then, um, you know, uh, i done my apprenticeship how to steal Porsches at Barrick and um, I stole a Porsche. Um, went up to a really affluent area. I was up there today, actually. Um, Whale Beach. It's a really affluent, really icy place. So yep. I stole a 950 twin turbo Porsche 1984 model. It was like fucking Dead set like an F eighteen fighter jet, the speed of it. Yep. And, uh, yeah, and I the ones. Yeah, and they're, they're worth about eight hundred grand now. They're fucking, yeah. Yep. Um, and then I um, 
it was the first time they ever used a police helicopter in a police chase in Sydney. It just happened to be on us. And we weren't shaken then. And, um, you know, we got apprehended, went before the Jura Children's Court in front of a magistrate uh, called Blackmore, who's now got a few clouds over his head in regards to, you know, what he's done to children or what he's been associated to children. And, um, and he sentenced me. He said, I'm going to sentence you to do 12 months. I stipulated that he served in an adult prison to deter you from future reoffending. And he noted, how dare a boy, you know, kids from Mount Druid come into an affluent area and steal a portion. You know, even then, I had an awareness. I didn't think it was a crime to be from Mount Druid, you know. And he was sentenced as the basis of his sentence you know, and his sentencing comments. The fact, you know, he was given his extra time because we were from Mount Druid. Yeah. An extra punishment. So off we went to Long Bay Prison. And that was surreal. We didn't think it was real. We didn't think we'd go in there. We thought it was one of these scared, stiff sort of programs sort of things. And, uh, and it wasn't. It was real. And we got there. And um, and we were basically, you know, um, you know, humiliated. Well, I don't know, sexualized by the prison officer himself in a script search. They were asking us. They were trying to humiliate us, getting us to, like they were, they were asking us to do things that I'd never do now. Like asking us, cough, then you know, script search, you know, bend down, cough, spread your ass cheeks and all that. And yeah. they just seemed to be some fucking deviant fucking joy out of it, you know. And um, faced me. In a cell with two blokes that I later found out were convicted pedophiles. Yeah, right. um, I had a mattress on the floor and I was sexually abused by both of them that night, you know, and uh, I never got a say in it. I would have fucking, you know. People, people like to say, oh, that happened, I'd buy his dick off. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't happen that way. It's, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. And, um, you know, for me, I froze. And, um, and, um, and I was sexually abused. The next day, you know, uh, my co accused, we went there with me, he was sexually abused too. In the same fashion, I was abused then, and, um, and it was just prolific. It was just prolific. It was these they were feeding young, uh, pedophiles, convicted pedophiles. They were rewarding it with young boys, you know. They were, you know, and they the the officers thought it was quite funny. And then the next bloke sexually abusing was a necrophiliac person, a really well known one too, a person who had sex with dead bodies. And, yeah, um, fucking sick. And he introduced me to heroin. He said this, you know. Give me a shot of heroin, and um, and I, I was really fucking numb, and I just knew that that was for me. I knew heroin was for me. I knew that the only way I was ever going to feel normal again was by using heroin. And um, yeah. and so this uh, this was in in prison, correct? Yeah, nineteen eighty four. See, I Central Industrial Prison at Long Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The jail, yeah, the jail itself was like one of the, the toughest jails. But if they would have put us in the mainstream population, we would have been safe. They put us in the. They put us in a one-wing protection unit. For our, they're telling us it's for our own safety because we're not 18 years old. They put us with the worst, of the worst, and tried to tell us it was for our own safety. Like, fuck, you don't have to be a fucking Einstein to work out that weren't going to pan out too well. Yeah, no, no. Once again, I'm a big believer it was government sanction. I believe that they knew exactly what was going on and what would be. Why Freddie could have seen what the outcome was. He could, a young 16 year old boy. In the two convicted pedophiles, you know what's going to be the fucking yeah, yeah. It's really upsetting. That, that it's fucking there, wrong, man. It really is. You know, yeah. it's fucking sick. You know, like yeah, beating them, and, and, and nothing's changed with pedophiles. Yeah. And, uh, and it scares me when they go, you know, oh, we're going to. They want these young kids locking up in in an adult prison. I say, you don't want that. You know, oh no, they'll be sweet. Well, you told me that. You know, everyone thought I was going to be sweet, and I wasn't. You know, yeah, and. Uh, they can't, there's no assurance, and they're so cunning, them pedophiles, and how they position themselves. You know, and the screws, the average screw's got an IQ of a fucking bull ant. 
and they're fucking easy manipulative. And them fucking pedophiles will run rings around them. Yeah. But um, anyway, long story short, I was eventually let out. I went. I got a transfer back to the boys' home, and then eventually let out. But I had a taste from heroin, and my parents were living out at uh, my mum was living out at Liverpool, which is right next to Cabramatta, and you know, and the, and the heroin epidemic was just kicking off there, and um. And off I went, I started using every day and um, to know, just to feel normal. Like I had something in me from here. I was like a cancer. The only thing that could make that cancer go away was heroin. And I chased it and chased it and chased it to the point I was later arrested, about eight months later, later arrested um, and uh, for breaking into a bunch of department stores. And um, here we go again, you know. But I, I went to a mainstream prison and, um, and there's a guy called Gary Stokes. Casper Stokes, he was the one who punched a finder folder up and turned him into a vegetable. He, yeah. mate, just a big shout out to that guy. He fucking protected us. He told everyone, these kids, you fucking don't even look at them. You know what I mean? And not that they would have. It was a different type of offender that we were replaced with. We were replaced with real crimes like bank robbers and fucking whatever and ever. But there was no sex offenders around us who could have caused us any problems. And, um, and you know, I always remember his kind. I always remember kindness in prison. I always remember everyone's kindness in prison because there's not a lot of it in there. Yeah, yeah, I'll hear you there, fucking oath. You know, there's not a lot of kindness and there's not a lot of love and um, and all those things that people need for healing. And, and um, you know, and I, I gravitated. I gravitated to the bank robbers. I wanted to know everything. You know what it was to to be a bank robber, and I learned every trick. I just sat and I was just a fucking sponge. And I used to let, let listen to these blokes talk and talk and talk, and, you know. And some of the things I picked up, you know, by the, the, the good one, the smart ones would just say, man, what you do is you don't make people panic. You don't go on there yelling, screaming, trying to fucking really get people scared. And, you know, that's something yeah. that sounds like me because I'm not that type of person who likes to terrorize people. The main objective is to get the money, get in and out as quick as you can, you know. And, uh, mate, and, you know, one bloke said, not even fucking say sorry on the way out of the line, which I did, and I, I got the nickname the gentleman bank robber. Yep, and um, you know, um, and I got out after I'd done about two and a half years on that one, and um, you know, by this time I was I don't know, but um, and um, you know, we're very intentions. You know, the bloke over my first bank's in the next room. He's asleep. You know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. him and I, him and I robbed our first bank together, and um, Commonwealth Bank of Gordon, and I, I loved it. I loved it. I love what I loved was the money. What I loved coming out of banks was. You're living on the precipice of death, right? Back then, Roger Rogerson and his merry men were killing people. So yeah. you didn't know you were going to come out and get your head blown off. And that was exciting. That was really exciting. Because I didn't give a fuck if I lived or died. I was a kid that was in a fucking world of pain. Government sanctioned. They have, the government done this to me. They have fucking created all this fucking pain in me. And all these stiffs. And then they say, oh, you don't do the crime, don't do the crime. Well, pedophiles don't fucking, you know, are not the answer to fucking getting kids. Yeah, it's fucking that's not right. Fine. Do that. We got some fucking, you know. But there is people in society that thinks it's a good idea. You know, there is some, some sick and twisted people. I think that's fuck shit kosher. Yep. You know, long story short, I, I went on a, a bank robbing spree, and um, you know, I think ended up getting arrested for three initially, um, three initially, and, and you know, by that stage, I had it all. Like, I had so much money that I could never spend. I, had, you know, I had cars and. And all of that stuff, all that superficial stuff, like the clothes that you buy to make you feel better, the car that you buy to make you feel better, yeah. you know, the furniture you buy to make you feel better. But when I wake up first thing in the morning without the heroin in me, I felt like shit. I felt like, you know, nightmares throughout the night. I was haunted. I was haunted. All those 
superficial things that I thought were going to take the pain away, yeah. which I started thanks for in the first place, were they were the biggest fucking letdown. It was a big anticlimax, you know. It just it didn't it didn't help me. And um, can I just ask, I, Russ? Like, yeah. obviously, you're heavy into an addiction here, um, you know, but you're also obviously you've got all this cash. You looked at as this fucking, you know, fucking bloke with all the money, the, all the assets, this and that. What was your physical appearance like? You know, like because I, you know, I know a lot of, um, I know a lot of addicts, mate. I, I come from that background myself. You know, I've, I've had addiction myself, um, yeah. and I, I know, you know, you don't look like you definitely wouldn't have looked like you look like you look today. You know, so. But I used to dress it up, mate. You know what? Yeah, I would have lost weight. I lost weight. I've been. I've got a photo of me on a GSXR motorbike. I, you know, I was thin. But it's, you throw like really extremely good clothes over the top of that, and you don't look that bad. Yeah. You know, you take you gaunt in the face. Yeah. I was sort of. You know, I was pretty. I was fucking pretty skinny. Yeah. You know, and, and and gaunt in the face, really gaunt in the face. But yep. I just look like a skinny kid, you know. Yeah. Yep. I'm not one. Of those, I'm not one of those people. When I can, I, my drug of choice is heroin. I'm not one of those people that can hide it. Like you fucking know when I'm on it. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm I, exact same. Mine was ice, bro. But I, I know, know what you mean. Fucking, you're on it. You tr- the more you try yeah. hide it, the worse you fucking look. Like. <laughs> yeah, my eyes just give me away. Like, like you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, you know, I was always really well-dressed, had nice cars and jewellery and everything. And people used to think, I used to have people guessing because they think, a junkie can't be dressed like that, you know. Yep. yep. And, um, and um, you know, even going out with girls and stuff like that, you know, I had them second-guessing. But, you know, so when I got pinched, like, it was like, you know, I, that was the first time I ever come across proper gangsters and that was, that was a form of the old hot squad. They were just bad cunts. Yep, yep. You know, they... All they wanted to do was rob me and take everything. They were fucking. They, they found thirty thousand cash in my roof that I'd secreted up there. And um, so, what what would thirty grand have been equivalent to these days back then? Ninety, maybe ninety. Yep. Ninety now, maybe hundred and twenty. Yep. And they found that up there, and um, and then they split that up between themselves, and um, and then I just couldn't believe the audacity, and I was like, they were in there trying on my because I had the grouse clothes, and I was in a pretty good dress up. And they were all trying on my clothes. And I had this suit on there. And one, he, he comes out and he's joking. He goes, I'm going to give you 10 years in this suit, you know. And, you know, and uh, oh, even my, like even the pair of shoes I had. And at the time, they, he went to size my shoes up as he was putting me in the cells. I said, fuck that, I'll fight for these. I said, I'm going to have one thing in my, I'm going to do 10, 15 years now. I'm going to have one thing. And it's only a pair of shoes, so be it. Yeah. He goes, all right, I'll be generous. You can keep them. They were just, they were the biggest fucking crook. Yeah. And then, um, Went to jail and um, I was only talking. I was at the fight last night. There's a bloke there called Kevin Holland, and Kevin Holland. You know, I mean, he was the hardest man in the Queen, in, in the Australian prison system. He just he's really well known. He's involved in training Daniel Gale. He's just hard but fair man. You know, and um, yeah, I've, I've heard, heard you talk about him before, actually. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm going to catch up and have some lunch with him tomorrow. Anyway, yeah, yeah and then, um, I remember him grabbing me, and I had I had this button-up prison shirt, and, he, and I was laying there with drawer, and I was in a world of pain, vomiting, and and he, and he grabbed me, and he grabbed me, and he said, "You can go down the oval," and uh, he said, uh, "You're gonna run," and he said, "You're gonna run this shit out of here." Sweat it out. Uh, like. of, uh, he's, um, and he said. The options are I just fucking smash you and break your ribs now, or you get down and have a go. And I was fucking, I was trotting around this thing, and every time I looked like and he was running himself with a couple other blokes, so he had a team of trainers with him, and he and he'd lay out, and he goes, "You fucking stop, Russell! You're going to break your ribs." And I like him, 
he got me down there for fucking hours just walking and sweating and everything like that and I was fucking hell I thought I was dying and you know three days later I've come good and he starts to see it you know, and he said man I never, you ever see that I'll ever see you do that this sort of thing so I'll fucking kill you so I'll just punch you to death yeah but in, I suppose in, in, in like yeah he, he was come across like that but I suppose he's looking out for you in a way was he so he, he sort of had you under his wing yeah it comes from a loving place and to train with Kevin Holland was always a big honour. Like it was like a, a you know people who trained with him were called the chosen ones. You know when um yep. and I was a chosen one because he seen my potential and um but I you know I made it pretty well clear. I said to Blake, I'm not sticking around. I'm uh, I'm going to escape and uh, you know started training really really hard for for an escape. And we had another bloke uh, come on board who was an XSAS soldier and we told him what our mission was. And it was just funny. Like this bloke just. Was one of his blokes. He was an analytical bloke who was working out the, and he wanted to know the layout. And, um, he goes, all right. And one day, about four days before the escape, he goes, I've got the master stroke. And I said, What's that? He said, Get a handful of salt. Get a handful of salt. Walk Lovely up story, bro. <laughs> yeah. And he said, um, Go up in front of someone's eyes and see what they do. And so my mate was going one way and I went the other way. We're going, fucking bang it. And they'll go, What the fuck? And the first thing I do is just, fucking put their hands over their eyes because they don't know what it is. Yep. And then you'd apologise to them and go, oh, look, mate, I'm just planning for an escape. And everyone went, oh, yeah, brother, give you a hug. Everyone was like, oh, because yeah, it was fuck the system. Everyone hated the system. So, yeah, you know, you're fucking mad. Out. You can't, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and I'm, I heard years later, like, I go, mate, I let that come through the soul in my eyes, you know. It was like a trophy for them, you know. But, um, <laughs> But um, it, was, it was just, and then it worked, you know, and this SAS bloke said, that's all you're going to need. You're going to need that one second. It's going to take one second. Then, and then hands hit the eyes and you're all gone. Yep. So um, come off the back of the prison van. We had handcuffs off. We had, we'd made our own handcuff keys. Like back in the day, everyone made handcuff keys out of dust pans, you know. Yep, yep. Like a steel dust pan. You know, everyone just had one. So come off, um, threw the hand salt in the copper's eyes, I think. Two coppers got assault in the eyes at the same time, one from me and one from my other mate. And then um, the battle were all gone. And, um, you know, got in and stole a car, made our way to Mount Druitt. And, you know, it was funny because the people in Mount Druitt, I was talking about it today with such love, you know. These people just loved us, you know. They didn't forget, like, when I was robbing the banks, I'd pull up and give them the 5 and $10, the, you know. Yeah. The back and one, two, one, two, one, two dollar, one and two dollar notes, the one dollar notes were the brown ones, two dollar notes were green, and five dollar notes. And I'd just give them the kids, you know, as it was done to me. It was like a tradition. I remember the bank robbers giving me these notes, and it was like yeah. carrying on the group. Yeah. And, you know, and also knowing a family that's really struggling, they might have their dad in jail, and you'd see the kids and say, he's a couple hundred, give that to your mum for your dad, you know. And it was like yeah. we looked after our life. And, um, and uh, and doing that, but when I escaped, since the first door I knocked on, it was like, mate, geez, you took your time getting in. The, the beds are made, you know. The, there's a couple of beds there, one there for your mate. We're just making a nice little roast here for you. It's like the welcome. My mate said, I've never felt it. Like he wasn't from there. He goes, I've never felt so at home in my life. These people, just how welcoming they were. And uh, yeah. so you know, I, I was I was on remand for robbing the National Australian Bank of Taramara, which was on a, an affluent area of Sydney, unfortunately. And um and um you know and I, and I ordered a kit so I said to one of the people can you get us a kit which is a bag of some shotguns and some car stealing implements and some balaclavas and a change of throwaway clothes and yep. man we're gonna how there's a kit knock on the door the kid's there and they ran off you know and um 
So we we turned back up at that bank and um, this security guard, this you know, Vietnam, poor Vietnamese security guard who I'd taken, I'd robbed it before and taken his gun off him. And then um, and he was there and he goes, oh, fuck, mate, not again. It was Christmas, like 12, 15th uh, December 1990. And um, he goes, mate, I'm going to lose my job this time. And I, by this time, I had a gun in my hand. I was just had control and um, my mate was able to get the money. I said, I mean him just had this conversation. felt like we for half an hour. He goes, mate, I'm going to lose my job. I said, I'll give you a reference, mate. And um, he goes, oh, man. He goes, why do you do this to me? I said, I'm not doing it. I'm doing it at the bank, mate. You know, and... Um, so he recognised you, way out. you know, like he recognised yeah, who you were and stuff, like, yep. And he knew exactly who I was, you know. Yep, yep. I had a bad on, but he knew who he was talking to. And yep. then, um, so um, on the way, my mate come back over from the counter with the cash, and I just handed him his gun back and said, Merry Christmas, and he's just looking at me. this moment in time. He's looking at me, he's got a gun in his hand, a loaded gun. He's looking at me, I'm looking at him, and then bang, I hit it, you know. <laughs> and there's a little bit. But, but it was just romantic, basically. And, yeah, um, man, it's fucking. It's a great yeah, story, fucking oath. And then, um, and then, um, yeah, and then off we went. Went and stayed at the Hilton Hotel. At the beginning of the night campaign, just do it. So we ran back. The bloke's name was Brett Langford, who I escaped with. And me and him went into um, the night shop and bought all this fucking just do it. Fucking. The next day, we flew to Perth business class. And stayed over there for a few days and got a bit hot over there and not went up to Broome and then from Broome to Darwin, you know. Yep. Our first night first night there, Brett met this girl who was um worked in a bank and he just came over and goes, Russell, this is Tammy. She works in the bank, isn't she beautiful? Yeah. I was meeting him at our fucking brains are clicking there. Yeah, yeah, we're getting yeah. we're getting inside mail on the bank and she, which she was fucking only too willing to give us and um and, um, you know, so we stayed up there. We were running out of cash, and we robbed the bank up there, and ANZ Bank at Parap. Yep. And um, now, I, I, I just really, coming from Sydney, you think everywhere's a big city, and I was just so naive. I'm just thinking Darwin's a big city, and it's not. It's fucking... It's tiny, bro. I've spent lots of time up there myself, yeah. Yeah. But well, it's very little. It's very little. Yeah, it's about population. Back then, it was a population of 70,000. Yeah. Well, I'm from Hobart. Really, I'm from Hobart. It's about equivalent... Equivalent to Hobart, yeah. bro. I think so. Yeah, no big high-rise buildings or anything like that, eh? It's just none of that, none of that. And, and you know what? We robbed this bank, and and the highways are getting blocked off. And and we got back to the the house, and I said, "What's there been a mass murder on here? Like all these fucking cops, you hear cop cars shooting everywhere." And I was like, "And they come on the news, the bank has been robbed." Like, oh, mate, a bank robber in Sydney be lucky to make the paper, let alone the news. Yeah. You know? Yep. And uh, so anyway, you know, my coaches had some tattoos on his knuckles and they were looking for him. Anyway, we went to the airport a couple of days later and they grabbed him. And um, and, then, um, and then I just, I watched them and I, I watched it from afar and I went, fuck, I'm not jumping in their plane because they're waiting for me as well. So I jumped in the car, I drove to a place called Mataranka Springs, which is about 400 k's out of Darwin. And um, I seen a bus. Greyhound bus, I flagged it down, I had no baggage, I just looked fucking red hot. Yeah. You know, no baggage, where I was going on, so I'm going to Alice Springs. And, um, and then back then they used to have these phones, like a car phone thing, and he was on it all night, so he was mailing the coppers where I was, and I was still on the bus. And, um, and I thought to myself, you know, I've got a bit of a change of ammo here, I've got to change my look, so I got to a place called Pine Creek, and they had second-hand biking boots, I bought them, bus driver pants. Fucking pull up, drive, bus driver socks, and then I love a t- Australia t-shirt and a Cuba hat. And, like, 
full tourist look, like. Yeah, I just went for the fucking Swedish tourist. I was just trying, mate. I was just trying. I knew I had a sneaky feeling. I had a gut feeling the chip was about to go bad. And, yep. And you know, when when it's going to go bad, you're an escapee. You know, you're you're on a remand for robbing three banks. You you wanted for another two or three more. Yeah, fuck um, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, you've, you've, got, got, that, you've got that gut feeling, bro. Fucking oath. When it's going to come undone, it's going to fucking hurt. And um, so um, anyway, I met this girl in the bar, and she was um like a um, a fucking sweet, I don't know, Swedish Norwegian tourist and all like that. And I made friends with her. I made her a lot of promises. I said, when we get there, I'll take you to five star, and, and she was all for it. And we all kissing cuddles on the bus all the way down there. Yep. And um, and she thought she was going to get treated like the fucking queen and. And I got off the bus, and as soon as I got off the bus, they all fucking jumped all over me. Like, you know, this task force was waiting for me, and they jumped all over me. And, um, you know, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing, you bully? Get off me. <laughs> and I'm looking at her, I'm saying, and she's looking down at me, going, what the fuck? And I'm saying, Helga, Helga, kill the embassy. I'm being attacked. I'm being attacked. And she's looking at me, going, what the fuck? And she just <laughs> oh, looked no. up, what the fuck? It was like the longest moment of my life watching her walk. I was like, some scenes, you left me in maybe five minutes. <laughs> and this old copper come up, an old copper called Les Smith, who ended up being a really good guy. He used to drop off boxing magazines and that for the jail for me. And, you know, we just had a mutual respect, you know, because it's, it's never been about them and me for me. It's, I don't, I don't, them blokes are doing their job. Do they do it properly? Do it properly. If you're a cunt and corrupt and everything like that, I'll call you if you want it. Yeah. But, um, and then um, he uh, came up and said, okay, hands from Sweden. Have you ever got a tattoo on your shoulder? He said, uh, you're going to be on your backpack away. And he just lifted up. And I looked at him and he looked at me and I had a smile on my face and said, God loves a trial, right? And he goes, he certainly does. He said, that I did work for you. And, um, and off I went. I went, uh, went. I got flown back up to Darwin to face the, the music. And um, then Darwin, man, that Darwin up there, man, them fucking rednecks up there, they know fucking violence really well and it's the language they fucking all speak really well. Yep. And, um, you know, I went to the jail there and I just got set straight up. They didn't want me in their jail because they just seen me as a threat, you know, because I've done Would jail. Like Abori- Aboriginals. Yeah, yeah, they, they were. And like, English was the second language and... From the start, I didn't like how they were being treated. I didn't like the references that the screws were giving them, like the names that they were giving them, just all racially based names, and I didn't like it. And I, and, and I, I'm, man, I'm a unionist. I'm a fucking unionist through and through. Yeah. And I'm going to stop to them people. I'm going to call these fucking dog shits. And they just, they didn't like me from the word go on. So, no, man, let's fucking, they're calling, they're calling the black fella a really a racist name. I'll say, man, don't call him like that. And, um, and you don't talk to them like that. They're fucking human beings. And, um, and then just the rednecks didn't like it. So they started setting me up. So they had a dining room, right? And they'd, they'd go and grab some bloke and say, throw, throw some rubbish out in the grass. And no one for well. So I'd come out and they'd go pick that up. And, um, and some of them picking up, didn't throw it. And they'd say, well, lock me in my cell. And I said, fucking lock me in cell. Lock me in my cell for two weeks. As soon as I come out, do it again. But the bloke they got me, the bloke they got to do it, on about the third time I've come out, I've just grabbed him and battered him and then poured a big fucking pot of hot tea over his head. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, because I knew what was happening, and then that was it. They got me where they wanted me. They put me in a segregation unit, like a high security unit, for like nine months straight, in complete. In like, I've done segregation, but that was like pretty hardcore. It was like I didn't even have a mattress. I slept on the concrete. I just had uh. a pair of fucking stubby shorts. I was in darkness 23 hours a day, and then they'd let you out to go in the yard, and they control the water. 
right? So they just turn off hot showers. So I was bird, I bird bath for nine months out of a fucking bubbler. Yeah, and, wow, um, yeah, and then, you know, they they come in one day and give me an offer. They said, we'll punch on with you one-on-one, you know? And I said, yeah, that's what you'll say. They said, no, no, no. They got the broom, put it under the camera, pushed the camera up to the sky, and it was on. You know, I started having these one-on-one fights with the screws. And it was really good initially because I was beating them. I was beating them and beating them easily. Yeah, yeah. And then they were going away. And then they'll go away training for me, you know, like fucking going to box. They'd bring in boxing coaches and everything like that. And they started beating me. So it took the fun out of it. And then one day, I just seen how much joy they were getting out of it. And I was getting out of it. Like, they were all getting all pumped up and thinking they're all manly and everything like that. One day, I laid my cell door and I never come out. And then this one screw, Alan Tunney, I had the utmost respect for. He was the one who said it would be one-on-one. I wouldn't, he weren't, weren't going to allow me to get outed. And uh, he said, what's going on, mate? I said, I'm not doing it. He goes, why are you doing it? He said, you give up. I said, well, no, I give up. I said, you, you are getting too much joy out of this. I'm getting nothing out of it. He yeah. goes, that's what you have to do. And I said, Al, I said, I'm just telling you, I'm not giving up. I'm not fucking giving up. I want, I'm just not doing it. He goes, isn't that giving up? And he was sort of trying to antagonize me in a funny way. He's a good bloke. He's a good heart. Out of, he's another one, you know, he showed me a bit of love and I was showing me a bit of respect and kindness and I'll never forget that. Yeah. You know, in a like, with a bit of violence added into it, you know. Yeah, in and, a hectic uh, time though, you know, you fucking you you locked away in the darkness. Like you're going to grasp onto any bit of kindness, anything, you know. Yeah. yeah, and any stimulation. And I, I can remember at night time, this female officer used to come up and she's a good sort. And I don't know what's going on there, but she used to come up and say, "Hey, Rush, you're all right." And she'd talk to me, and I mean, one or two o'clock in the morning, she'd be able to sneak off and come and talk to me, and um. And she goes, man, I just love your spirit. She goes, you're not letting no one beat you. And I said, I can't, I can't. He's like, you know, I give up here. I'm going to die. Just kill me. And I, I have awareness. I have an awareness. If I laid down and I fucking buckled, you know, and I went into the fetal position and curled up in a ball, I'm going to die. And, and that stuff started to worry me. So, you know, other decisions had to start to be made. Because, you know, because prior to that, I had a death wish. I didn't give a fuck if I lived or died. Yeah. I really didn't. But, you know, I come to this point where I, I didn't want to die. And, um, you know, so. Can I ask, was the heroin I, still involved around this time? Uh, no, no, you won't see it up there, especially yeah. in that segregate. You don't say. see anyone. Yeah. You know, and it was really, it was a, that was like, that laid a good platform for me up there. Yeah. You, in the Northern Territory jails, you see a lot of medication, like, you know, pharmaceutical medication. Like they just hand out anything you want. You go, you said, I want oxy. They'd put you on them. That's how it used to be yep. back then. Yep, yep. And um, so there was no heroin, and I didn't even know about pharm- pharmaceutical drugs. I didn't know what they could do to you. So, um, you know, um, and they used to offer them. They used to come in the segregation thing and say, oh, well, we can give you this to make you fucking calm down. I'd say, I don't want it. And yeah. they used to try to fuck poison. And I just didn't trust them, you know. I didn't trust them. I had good reason not to trust them. Yeah, of course. So I thought they were going to And um, long story short, you know, I ended up getting moved out of there. I ended up getting... I got moved to a, uh, Alice Springs prison. I got fuck, mate. It was just that was an eye opener. You know, 160 blokes there. Me and another bloke were there, and he was a rapist. And I just, man, I don't talk to rapists. You know, yeah. he was a rape, a rapist from South Australia. And I just didn't talk to him. And you know, and um, one day he spilled some tea on an old elder, and he, he didn't apologise. And um, I knew that could cause me trouble too. You know, and I said to him, "You better go and apologise to him." He made some racial comment. I said, "Yes, wait." So I said to the young young black fellows from a place called Gindamu, the Warpy people, I said, I'll take care of it. And I said, get them old fellas around the laundry. I'll show you how I'll take care of it. And um, 
I'll call him around, Laundry, come around here, you know, come around here, like fucking battling in front of the fucking, and I just had their respect. Yeah, just earned it on the spot pointed, there and then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I pointed to him, I said, you fucking disrespect these people again, you know, and I'll do this to you again, and I had him on the ground fucking apologize, and he apologized to them, and, and I won them over, you know, and they just loved me, and I'd become part of them, I learned a lot about their culture, I learned yeah. a lot about their culture, and, and their culture's respect we base, respect base, give respect, get respect, it's that fucking simple. Yeah, yeah, you know, 100%. Done a lot of that. I learned a lot from their people. Eventually, got to move back to New South Wales. Um, at the front, the front court for my, you know, my robberies, and you know, but that wasn't. That was now five robberies and two, uh, and an escape attempt and escape. And um, and you know, I went to court at court, and you know, once again, I so I got sentenced to fifteen years of an on-call period of eight years. Yeah. Once again, we're going to teach you a lesson for your future, Ruth, and we're going to give you a sentence fifteen years to deter you from. I got them sentences my whole life. You know, these deterrent sentences. You never hear of them applied to sex offenders. You'll never hear a judge say, I'm going to give you 10 years to deter you from future reoffending. It doesn't, it doesn't happen all. It doesn't, I, I don't know what's written in law, but it doesn't happen all. Yeah. But you give me 15 years of non parole period to deter me from future reoffending, you know. But by this stage, you know, by the time I got sentenced, I was only about two or three years clean, you know, and, um, I was on my recovery journey, and that was that started when I was in the segregation unit because I made a pact to myself like, I can't allow anyone to put me in this position ever again. Yeah, and they put me in that position was me. So you know, it was about it was a lot about ownership. You know, it was a lot about taking ownership and 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 um and doing something with life. So you know, ended up doing eight years on that sentence, and um you know, I um I got out eight years clean. Got out right. eight years clean, and and um. I got out eight years clean and, and uh, you know, and I, and I began this life, you know, I met a girl, I met a couple of kids, got a business, I, you know, I was always business minded, I always had a mind for business, I just took what it took to be a bank robber and a criminal into business and, you know, I was always going to go okay. Yeah, what and, what uh, uh, prison did you serve eight years in? Oh, I've done most of it at Long Bay, I, I reckon I've done maybe four or five years down at the Bay and went to Goulburn, Lithgow, um, oh, I went everywhere, Maitland. Um, I got out from John Moroney one when I was a minimum security prison. Okay, yeah. But I've I, I really done a tour. I went everywhere. You yeah, know, and yeah. that's New South Wales prisons. You just fucking mate. You, 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 you know, you can be in a different jail every fucking six weeks. But um, I, I've done most of my jail down at Long Bay. I've done. I think I've done t- eight years. I was a twenty-three. I've done mostly eight years in total at Long Bay. And um, and uh, so I got out from John Moroney one. Got this business going up. I moved up to the Gold Coast. And, you know, really rocked it, you know. But I always had an underlying issue. That that, that trauma was never dealt with. Yeah. And it was going to, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, I was just white-knuckling it. You know, I um, I was, I was always going to raise its head. I was yeah. always going to raise you, Had it. you ever spoke about it to anybody at this point? Oh, like uh, no, no, too, too deeply suppressed, you know, because yeah. Yeah. initially I tried to talk about it. I was shut down. I wasn't. And the worst thing you can ever say to an abuse survivor is we don't believe that. Because it was just, it just locks them up. They won't say nothing. Yep. And I went through some pretty heavy duty counselling and that in prison. I just, I just never ever felt safe enough to talk about it, you know. And I, and it was never going to happen. And you know, long story short, you know, I've been out of jail six years. I had, you know, a mortgage, two kids, a successful business. I went back to using, you know. And it starts with that. It started me by drinking, you know, drinking. Snorting coke, dropping pills, yeah. having a way back, you know, and then having a shot, and, all, and then and I was back on the fucking merry-go-round again, and um, 
you know, and I went on, I went fucking like 10 years, I just could not fucking find my feet, you know, I got finished for a couple of armed robberies, you know, got a bit of a break, got a good sentence on it, and then fucked up straight away, six months later I was back in on more, yeah. and you know, 10 years later, you know, so I was from 10 years after that, you know. So lose you know, the, lose yeah. the kid's mum and stuff through this time, like. Yeah, yeah all of that, she yeah. went, she had a, another bloke in a relationship, and um, you know, and then, um, yeah, just yeah, and then one day, and I was on on my way to Perth, and I met this guy on the plane. I was up to no good. I was carrying, I don't know, some might call it supplements, some might call it, well, a bit of that, or a bit of that. I was taking that over to Perth, and I met this bloke on the plane who was from the Royal Commission Institution responsible for child sexual abuse, which um, Julie Gillard, the best prime minister, with the biggest balls, introduced, and she took on fucking the churches and everything, and she just. That woman is a fucking amazing. I I, I, I reckon I am my life with her, and um, and I um, and you know, and, and I thought nothing of it at the time. He explained to me what the process was. The long, you know, a couple of months later, I got caught robbing a bank up in uh, Gold Coast, Coolangatta. Some called me away at Coolangatta, and yeah. I've come out of there. I got jumped by some fucking super citizens, you know. And just quickly, so so you yeah. met you met this fella on the plane, and and what. You, uh, he explained you to the pro- the process to you. So what you obviously opened up to him a bit, did you? Uh, a little. Uh, look, I was reading a book called Sleepers, and I don't know if you know the movie Sleepers with Kevin Bacon, and it's about a bunch of uh, kids that get abused in an orphanage or a boys' home or something like that, and they all square up in the abusers. And uh, and he said I was reading a book. I don't. I, I give him. I, I indicated. I said, yeah, you know. And I, I sort of made sort of made out it was someone else, but it was me. Like he read the thing. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep. I'm with you. Yep. I sort of go, you know. And he goes, well, when the royal commission comes in, you know, you'll be able to tell your story, or your friends will be able to tell their story, or whatever, whoever it is. And he said, then um, you know, and you'll get counselling and everything like that, you know. And so when I come out of this bank up in Coolangatta, um, I was jumped by a bunch of super citizens, and um, you know. I remember old mate saying to me, I just saved your life. And I went, fucking just stop punching him in the head. What's punching me in the head? You know, as super citizens do, they want to punch you up and do all these horrible things to you. Long story short, you know, I went to Southport Watch House and I was like a dinosaur. Like, these, all these young coppers had never seen a bank robber before and they're fucking wanting to look at me, open doors. And they yeah. wanted me to pull me into interview rooms every five minutes and think I was going to fucking do a record of interview, which. I remember I was actually Russell Oxford is a copper. Um, I went and seen him on stage the other day, and I remember him being there. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he rolled his eyes. He goes, "This bloke will never do a record of anything." Yeah, wow. And he said, said, "Oh," and I said, "I remember him." I said, "I remember fucking at least one of you's got the brain to work that out." Yeah. These young fellows are trying to tell me how how good it'll be for me. I said, "Mate, you think it's my first fucking radio?" You know? Yeah. And then I was sort of some sort of fucking. Prize, you know, I was like a fucking shooting a fucking elephant. And anyway, so, you know, long story short, I went out to Arthur Gorry Correctional Centre and, you know, when I got there, I had every intention to fucking end my life. I'd made peace with it. And it's, it's a real scary place to be with the benefit of hindsight, you know. Nothing's yep. going to stop you. Nothing yep. will stop. And the universe had other plans for me. You know? Yep, yep. So I got there. So I got there and um, I got there and... Um, you know, the coaxial cable, which I would have hung myself with, had been vandalized, so it was about two inches long, all wrapped around my tail, let alone my neck. 
And I looked down and there was just nothing. It was, uh, it was about a 42 degree day. I didn't even have fucking sheets. I just, I didn't have a pillow. So it was just a mattress on a thing. So there was nothing possible you could hang yourself with because I would have found that I was that fucking entrenched in, in wanting to do that. And then, um, you know, I started to put off them. And then, you know, the next day, so I said, all right, the next day I'll get a good coaxial and I'll do it tonight, you know? Yeah. Obviously, but, um, you're absolutely fu- just. God, it, oh God! Yeah. I was giving up. Yeah. I see it today, and I was just seeing it today. I was watching. I was at the lights, and I'm in my nice flash car, and I watched this bloke walk across, and I seen me in him. I seen yeah, a wow. broken. I seen me in his eyes. I seen that broken spirit. You know, a homeless guy it just doesn't give a fuck, man. And I seen. I looked in his eyes as well, and I just engaged in his eyes, and I. And I was trying to tell him through my eyes. I know how you feel because I've been there. Yeah. You know, walked off. But um, I was gone. I was just, I was dead. I was fucking, I, was, yeah. I didn't need to kill myself. I was already fucking dead. So, the, but the next day, I, 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 you know, the universe started hitting some buttons in me for other people. And, you know, so a bloke came up to my, you got a cell in the Queensland, so they've got like a display window in it, like the sort of screws can check up on you overnight. So I put a torch and then check up on you. Yep. Anyway. I suspected this guy was a sex offender because I've done jail with him previously and he denied it and he denied it. No, 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 no. You know, a few people used to say he was a sex offender. And he came up and he had a shot, had a shot of heroin in a cut down syringe and he goes, you and me have never seen eye to eye, but I'm offering you this as a taken a piece and we can get off to go and get it. And I got plenty of it. So and I looked at him and I banged on the window and I said, no matter how fucking bad I was feeling, no matter how fucking bad, I would never take anything off you because you're just a piece of shit. I know who you are. I know who you are. Yep. And I said, I want you fucking done. You think you can hide it? And I didn't give a fuck. I didn't care. I got out and he wanted to kill me that way for what I was saying. I just gave him a mouthful. Yep. And he walked off. And, um, and I walked off. And anyway, when I got out, when the cell door came open, there was a young bloke with all these um, books on his table. And um, he's studying. And I said, what are you doing? He said, mate, I remember you gave me all that advice eight years ago. He said about, you know, living up to my potential and everything like that. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm being studying the best psychologist. He looked me up and down with disdain. And he said, maybe you should take some of your own advice. And just went back to studying. And I went, fuck. I went, oh. Fucking bad, you know, bro. Hit ya. Yeah. And there was a lot of things. But, you know. So as the day passed, you know, I got called for a legal visit. I was, I had a really, I helped a bloke establish um, his own legal firm. I just got him heaps of business. I reckon, you know, I told everyone how good he was. So he called me out for a legal visit, and and I said, "Mate, I heard you're in some trouble." Really good mates, man. This bloke at that stage, and uh, and then um, he said, no, "He said, yeah, mate, I'm not going to let you get thrown under the bus." He goes. You know, what do you reckon you can have? I said, mate, I'd be happy to do mate for five or six years. I said, I'd be happy with that result. And he goes, I think I can get you better. How about I get you three or four? And I said, yeah. So long story short, you know, off he went. And then I've come out of the, um, I've come out of the, um, the legal boxes. And I'm walking down, and the education block is never over. Like, this fucking, mate, like fucking trying to get into Israel, you know? Yeah, right, yep. You just there's screws there and there's applications and there's fucking this and that. But anyway, I seen the fucking door open. There's a teacher standing there, so I just walked straight in. They knew who I was from previous sentences. And they said, "How are you going, Russell?" And you know, I was always in the past. I was always really fit, and I wasn't like physically. You know, I wasn't looking too good. And she said, "Fuck, you've done a mischief." You know. And she goes, "What do you want to do?" I said, "You know, I'd like to 
studied to be a lawyer, you know, and to get, oh, you can do a tertiary preparation program and everything. I'll sign up there and then. It's unheard of. And no one would have ever been able to do that again. It was just the universe opening doors for me. So I got back to my cell that night. The boys had stacked my cell. They got a TV, coaxial cable, clothes, fucking food, and, you know, and a, and a fucking writing pad, you know, a writing pad with a bunch of fucking envelopes next to it. And, um, so I sat on my bed, you know, and, you know, and there was a few things in that day that triggered me. Morally, I wouldn't take a shot off fucking someone who I thought was a scumbag, you know. Previously given him, you know, some advice to a young kid that changed the trajectory of his life in a positive way. You know, I went and see my mate. He reckons I'm not going to do 10 years. I might do three or four, which is bearable. So, you know, the just light. just goes to show you one it. day, man. Like, just, you know, like that's what I say. To, I say to people, you know, I know a lot. I know mates that have fucking killed themselves and, and whatnot. And, you know, people that are on that, in that headspace and, and you know, what, whether they're fucking washed up on drugs and, or whatever it is, and, you know, they're in that suicidal headspace, bro. Just give it 24 hours. Le- legit, like, it's that much it's can really change. You're a perfect example. Like, it's a really important message, Tonkey. It's a really important message, brother. You know what I mean? I'm glad, you know, because, um, you know, that day, man, that was the beginning of fucking, that was the beginning of the healing journey, and, um, you know, it just kicked off there. And then, you know, and I sat and I said, fuck it. I'm going to give myself 110%. I said, but I've got to deal with this trauma. I'm just fucking you. And universe, right? So I um, flicked on the TV. First show comes on. One of my favorite shows, the 730 Report on ABC, the best current affairs show on TV. So I flick on, bang, Royal Commission Institutional Responses, chasing Brian Houston from Hillsong, which is a fucking rat, and um, George Pell. And I went, fuck these people. I think. And then I remember the conversation I had with the bloke on the plane. And, and you know, and I, and I went from looking at that to looking at this writing pad. Like, this, should I? Should I? Should I? Should I? You know? Yep. So, um, and I did. I wrote it out, and I, I just thought it'd be cathartic. I thought, you know, even if I write it and then burn it, you know, because I've heard of these these yeah. parts of some therapy, and I thought, you know, I just put on paper, but it might heal me. It might just do something. And I wrote it, folded, folded it up, put it in the envelope. Next day, I got on the phone, got the address for the Royal Commission. And this was the hard thing. I, was, I stood at the mailbox. Like, it's like throwing a towel in. Like throwing a towel. I kept on. I stayed there for about seven minutes, just fucking. Mm, mm, mm. Yep. And I went bang. What's in the mailbox? You're not getting it back out. Yeah, yep. It was the best thing I've ever done. Fuck, bro. It gives me goosebumps. Like, fuck. Yeah, yeah, it's the best thing I've ever done. And, and, and you know, and, and about two weeks later, I get called for a legal visit. Now, when you get called for a legal visit in prison, you don't know if it's the coppers or not. So yeah. I've got one foot in the door and I'm saying, who is it? And they're going, the Royal Commission Institution responses to child sex abuse. So I had a choice then, to step in or go, no, tell them to get fired. Yep. Or step out and go back to the unit. And I stepped in. It was the best step I ever fucking took. Yep. So, you know, got talking. I remember the girl's name. Her name was Michelle Burford. And she said to me, you know, look, First thing they said to me, Royal Commission had this way with words. And they said, first we you know, mate, we believe you. And that's all you ever wanted anyone to do. Uh, you know, I, I just wanted that for fucking years. I just wanted to be believed. And um, and I went, fucking what? And I asked her, I said, what did you say? And I asked her three times. And I said, she goes, I said, I believe you. And I said, am I hearing things right? And she goes, what do you mean? I said, you, did you say you believe? And she goes, yes, but I said, well, we believe what happened to you. We know what happened to you. 
And there's even been people that have mentioned your name about the abuse that happened. And I'm like, wow. Wow, wow. wow. I got a, you know, I got a bit emotional. And, uh, yeah, like, for I went, sure. This is how I'm like, fuck, why can't you just do this years ago? Anyway, so I, I spoke to her for about an hour, and then at the end of it, she goes, we got someone else we want you to start talking with. And I was a trauma counsellor. And um, I've done trauma counselling with that woman for four years, like on a regular basis. Didn't even know what she looked like. It was all by phone. I never done a video link with her. And, um, and um, you know, and that was the beginning, you know. And, and you know, and, and what happened, like, what was prolific in this case? Like, I am... Um, so I got moved to another job. I got the four years that my mate said I was going to get. I went to court and got that. And he was good for his word. And, um, and, um, and, um, and I was in this prison. When you're in prison, everyone knows what's being said on them telephones, right? Everyone yeah, knows. Yep. Oh, Johnny's fucking son scored fucking four goals in the footy or whatever. Whatever. Yep. The fucking daughter's lost the ballet shoes or whatever. And people were getting suspicious of in the terminologies I was using on the phone in my conversations. They thought I was, you know, a couple of young fucking gooses thought I was talking to the coppers, you know? Yeah, okay, yep. No, I could imagine, yep. Yeah, so what I had to do to put that fire, possible fire out, because there was a couple of sparks. So I called a yard man and I said, come in here. I, said, I jumped on the chair. I said, I'm not here telling on people. And I pointed at the end. I said, you and you, you're fucking trying to stir shit up. I said, yep. you're fucking the money. I said, I'm talking to Royal Commission Institutional Responses of Child Sexual Abuse about what happened to me. Not about what happened to anyone else. I don't give a fuck. That's your journey. Mine is what happened to me. I said, because I want to fucking hear I like some of you blokes, but I fucking hate a lot of you. I don't want to be around you. Your fucking attitude stinks and your worse, your breath's even worse. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to be around you. I said, I want to heal, man. I want to fucking turn my life around. And I said, there's a perfect opportunity for Royal Commission to do it through counselling and so you're going to hear me talking to him. And I told him the words I was using and I could see him going, yeah, I agree. So, you know, I was sexually abused when I was young and I want to fucking heal from it. You know, and this is my best opportunity to do it. You know, fucking 65 likes started clapping and going, fucking wow, how powerful. Like, that's pretty wow, great. Even the screw said, yeah, even the screw said to me, that could have went wrong for you, eh? And I said, it could have, but, you know, so what, what am I going to do, die? You know what I mean? Because I was already fucking damaged, like, you know. Yeah. Dead inside in the past, and I, I wanted to live. That's what I wanted to live mostly. Yep. And um, you know, and it just changed. It. You know, I think fucking 50, 64 people told me their abuse story while I was in that jail, and I connected them to the Royal Commission and lawyers and, and everything like that. And, and um, you know, and and, and and you know, my organisation was born. And I, I'm a real big, you know, I, I like to visualise things. I lay on my bed at night, like. By this stage, I wasn't watching TV. I got rid of the TV. I was studying, and all I was doing was training, studying, and um, and hustling. You know. Yeah. So, um, and, and you know, my organisation was born then. I, you know, I started to realise I had a really good knack of people being able to put people at comfort about telling their stories of abuse and and yeah. um, and hearing them and, and showing them and supporting them the process through from my own lived experience and yeah, um, being a victim yourself yeah and just let them go you know letting people talk and that's the main thing people want to do they want to fucking be heard yeah um and um that was cool and um you know long story short i got moved back to new south wales and um you know i um i done i was about four years i'd done nearly four years i had two weeks to go 
I was bail, I was paroled going to rehab because even though I was clean, I wanted to learn some life skills. You know, I was yeah, going to a real good rehab called Bleed House, which Danny Shannon was working at the time, was a really good friend. Yep. And, um, and um, you know, two weeks, coppers turn up with six old arm robberies, you know. Fuck. Fuck. But um, for me, you know, I was pretty fortunate. Like, you know, I, I ended up spending another four months in there trying to get out on bail, and I pulled a good lawyer called Peter O'Brien and, you know, because by this time I'd got some compensation. I had a bit of cash to pay for good lawyers. When, if you're relying on legal aid, you're fucked. You're fucked. Yeah. So I got a bit of cash together and to pay for good lawyers. And first thing he said, we're going to get you out on bail. And I just, I didn't even believe. I said, that, that's not possible. I won't get on bail. I just wanted to speed up, get the charges dealt with so I could know where I was at. But yeah. he yeah. said, no, get you out on bail, get you back to a rehab. And um, went in front of the, the judge and the judge was filthy on the conference. He said, why did you fucking wait so long? So I'm giving him bail, give me bail. Went to a rehab up at Coffs Harbour, completed the rehab, you know, and um, life's just fucking good. I, I, you know, I had to go out, like I still had to stay around at rehab and an outreach program. But um, anyway, so I stayed in Coffs Harbour. I set up my little business at the time. It was RJ Nancy Consulting, went in to be the voice of a survivor. Now it's Warriors Advocacy. And, um, and off we went. You know, and uh, fucking, I just had people coming out of the woodwork that wanted to tell us the story of abuse, and I was the only one they were going to trust doing it. And, um, yep. and I was processing, you know, around about 50 clients a week. Wow, unbelievable. Can I just say, it just, just threw me back to um, when you were talking about when you stood up on the chair in the yard and, you know, sort of put your fucking story straight. Um, I, I don't know his last name, but my barber, bro, so I've, I moved to the Goldie a couple of years ago, 18 months ago now, and I got a barber just down the road, and he was actually there, bro. He he done jail with you. He, his name's Andy. I can't, I'm not sure of his last name, but um, he, he watches all my stuff. He he'll no doubt watch this. But yeah, he, he's he's mentioned about doing doing jail with you up here, and um, and yeah, yeah even mentioned that as well. So yeah, I just yeah. wanted to say that, but because I know we yeah, watch it, so yeah, it's a pretty powerful thing, and. So I mean, we're, we're, we're doing a book at the moment where, where we're in the process of doing a book and that's how they're going to open the book with that scene. It's pretty powerful. I didn't realise at the time how powerful that was for others, but it inspired a lot of other men to tell their story and begin the healing journey. And, um, you know, um, it, was, yeah, it was just, you know, it's been a really good journey, you know, really good. I've been robbed and ripped off and fucking, I suppose, fucking like, but anyway, um, so long story short, I ended up starting this business up at Coffs Harbour and, you know, I had people come and go, fucking women just ripping me off left, right, and so they're the worst. And yeah. um, so-called fucking law-abiding citizens, they see you've got this opportunity and they think because you're a criminal they can do anything they want to you. Yeah. Knowing full well you won't go to the police. Yeah. Knowing full well that guy, he won't go to the police. There's no consequences in this. We can rob him blind and, and we're the good guys, you know. But anyway... Yeah. And a bit of that, but it's been a long process. It's been a process along the way, and you know, I um, you know, fast forward to today, you know what I mean? And a few, you know, cuts and bruises along the way. You know, I employ twenty-two people. You know, work got twenty thousand clients nationally. We're the biggest support network in Australia for abuse uh, 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 institute people of institutional abuse. Yeah. You know, I uh, if you know, I own a beautiful. You've connected up with uh, one of my good mates, bro, Kane Richardson, down in Tassie there. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, me and Kane go way back, done a bit of jail and stuff together. And um, But, yeah, he's, he's a good lad, bro. Went, went through similar shit, like, 
He's a beautiful soul, Kane. He's a very troubled. And big shout out, yeah, Kane. I always checking on him. And but um, you know, it's been a really like I, I, I live by the motto: I give more than I take. You know, and I, I just have this beautiful life. Like today, today I just went to the best. Like there's a Newport Arms Hotel, and I just I've got gratitude running through my like every cell in my body right now is grateful. Right now, it just permeates out of me. And I, and I say that, you know, because I have resentments, you know, about what has happened to me. And, um, you know, you can't be grateful and have a resentment at the same time. You can't be grateful and angry at the same time. Yeah, that's you know? right. Yeah. And I do little things. Like I was explaining to this guy today, I was, I was working with this abuse survivor today, and he's really fucked up, you know. And I was explaining the importance of gratitude and, you know, and letting go of resentment, you know, because when you practice gratitude, you'll be, you'll be able to get rid of the resentment. It's just yep. the key to get rid of those resentments. Yeah, I'm, I'm just learning it myself now, mate. I'm, I'm still early days, but I'm definitely on the right track, heading in the right direction. I'm, I'm learning all these little steps, you know, along the way, and it's it's fucking working, bro. It really is. Like, yeah, it's really important. It's really important about to get good. Resentment's a rust of vessel that's contained, and then you know, having a resentment is like drinking a cup of poison and having someone else dies from it. It doesn't work that way. And, um, you know, I do a lot of work on myself. I've been digging deep, you know, but I, I've got this blueprint, you know, that works for me. And especially, you know, people who have done a lot of jail and stuff like that. I, I, I work, I, I work for, I got my mate here now. He's done 34 years. Yeah, wow. Well, yeah. He's done 21 straight, you know, and, um, Trying to help, you know, I've got a gift and, you know, and they talk about it in, in recovery. You can't keep it unless you share it with others and I, I share it freely. Yep. I share it freely. Um, yeah, I do. I just, I love it. And, um, you know, and, and I'm a big advocate for change in prison. Yeah. You know, 100%. I do a lot of I, I call, I, I, you know, through my social media, I call it how it is. Yeah. If a program's work, let's do it. If, you know, if screws are being shit bags, I'll call it on it. Bashing the shit out of people and traumatizing people. Violence ain't the answer. This is this thing in society, in particular in Australia, America, even more so, is this perpetrating violence on someone doesn't make them not do things. No, that's just right. Yeah. Yeah. Just makes them violent. Yep. They just, okay, that's sweet. That's how you deal with things and learn behavior. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm passionate about these kids. I, you know, I want to work with these troubled kids. You know, my biggest fucking obstacle is the cop is the guy, you got a blue card, you can't be in. They know I'm not going to get a blue card because I've got violence in my criminal history. No sexual abuse, no fucking, you know, domestic violence, no nothing. But they just know. They just, unfortunately, the coppers don't want a solution to that youth crime stuff. They don't want it. Yeah. Because it gives them more resources, it gets more coppers, it gets bigger guns, it gets bigger batons and everything. I'm not being a conspiracy theorist here, but that's just a fact. Yeah. And there's no getting around it. There's no getting around. That's what they want, you know, and that's what they get. What they want is what they get. And unfortunately, that youth crime crisis can only be addressed through people's lived experience, you know, like blacks like us, man. Them kids are going to listen to us before they listen to some copper with a fucking folder under his arm saying, you know, you know, you'll get you'll get locked in jail if you're bloody fucking still. And them kids couldn't give a fuck about that. It's not nothing to worry about. Bro. 100%. Especially better, especially better conditions in there than they've got at home. Now that's the problem. So we've got to fix up what's going on at home. We've got to create a safe place for these kids, you know. And then they're not out in the street doing crime and stuff like that, you know. And you know, I've got to, you know, you know. But I'm here to talk to other people, and I'll say through hard work, like I work. I'll, I'll like I'm gonna, I've got a bit of work to do after. I'm actually working till ten o'clock tonight, but I've been on the go since six o'clock this morning. Yeah, wow, bro, and, good stuff. 
And but you know, and through hard work, no matter what, you know, I get out of jail. And I said, I'm going to work 16 hours a day, seven days a week for two years and see where I'm at, you know, how much money I save. And I did it, you know, and um, that's the way they do it. I say to these people, keep yourself busy. That's the problem. People sit at home on the PlayStation and then they start hating on other people. You know, yep. their, their fucking wife is fucking putrid and their failures yep. start hating on other people and they become toxic. And then they get toxic and then one day they realise how toxic they are. And they fucking start indulging in fucking drug use because they fucking hate who they've become. Yeah, I've you know, learned. I, you know, I've learned one thing. Like, I was always very self conscious. You know, especially when I was on the gear and that. Like, um, very self conscious of how I looked or what or what people were saying about me. Like, one th- the main thing I've learned, bro. Like, and like I said, I'm still very early days. But the one thing I've learned is to not give a fuck what anybody thinks about you, bro. And honestly, I live so happy every day, like, uh, to to literally, truly in here be able to not give a fuck is so big to me, you know? Like, it's... True freedom. True freedom. That's that's free. That's free, you know? You know, and that's true freedom. And that's what I I try a lot of stuff, man, in, like, you know, people put a hate in comments. I'm like, you know what? And I've got to... I, I handle haters really well. I look at haters, right? And I look at them and I go... That's just the person who's being reflective and deflective, you know, or you know, projective. So they're projecting all that inner shit that they feel about themselves on me, hoping they're going to feel better from it. They won't. Yep. Because it won't have effect on me, man. Yeah. I'll give you a hug. I understand you. Hey, listen, brother. I know you're not feeling good. You need a hug. I'll give you a hug. You know. Yeah. I used to say surprise with black eyes, but I won't even do that because that's just you know that's self fucking defeating for me. But I understand them people. Like, you know, I see I, I lived with prison officers for 23 years. They are the fucking worst haters you'll come across. Yeah. Them people hate themselves. They fucking hate themselves that much because they're just fucking shit. You know, some really good ones, you know, and I acknowledge ones. I, I've got friends that are prison officers. You know, a bloke called Dino Billinghurst is a boxer. I always had utmost respect for him as well because they treated me fairly. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they, were, they weren't corrupt, but they just treated me fairly. And that's all. You know, that's what you want. But like, if you're going to, how can you bash someone, right, because they're criminals? You, so you're bashing someone by way of assault, which is a crime. Yeah. But, and, you know, so what, you're a criminal yourself. Yeah, that's right. So exactly. You, it's just a. Like you're, yeah, you're hating on yourself. It's a vicious circle, eh? Like, at the end of the day, it's just fucking. It's traumatizing. Yeah, yeah. Traumatizing. I just, you know, like, my today, my life is so good. I, I When I say so good, I. My success is my peace of mind. Yeah. That's my greatest achievement. Yeah. My greatest achievement is my peace of mind. And, and, you know, and my sanity is my greatest asset. And and it's what I appreciate. Because I've been at times where I didn't have my sanity. I was loose and, you know what I mean? I was I was a very fucking damaged, angry fucking young man. I'm not that angry young man today. I'm a whole person. I'm complete. You know, I'm not man. looking for a like, I've been watching your journey, Russ, for the last few years, um, you know, like, first come across you a few years ago when your face sort of started to appear around the place, and um, look, mate, you're a perfect example of somebody that can go from one end of the, spectr- the spectrum to the other, you know? Yeah. Um, personally, bro, you're a fucking inspiration to um, to me and, and a lot of people. Um, mm. Yeah. Congratulations to I you, bro. It's, you, yeah, I love watching your shit. Um, like all your content and stuff, it's very uplifting and yeah, like I said, inspiring, bro. Um, oh, I appreciate that. I'm 
feel appreciated for that. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm just I've got to say about that. You know, when you just when someone gives me a compliment like that, I thank them for being part of my healing journey. Yeah, yeah. Because it is, you know, because that's that whole when you're so fucking badly traumatized. One thing you lose is self love, self belief, right? Yeah. So when when enough people tell you how you know what amazing work you do, it builds in they're investors in your fucking healing. Yeah. Self-confidence and self-belief. You hear that you're a good person enough, you're going to fucking start to believe it. You yeah, know I mean? that, that's right, hundred percent. And that's that's another thing that I'm learning myself at the moment too. You know, and you know, not, and just like also, bro. You know, like um, without sounding like a fuckwit, you know, you, you have a look at you. You 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 ain't a young bloke, and. You you look fantastic, bro. For your age, like fucking unbelievable. Not many blokes out there are, are um, you know, definitely not to your, not to the standard you're at anyway. Like it's it's just it's it's unbelievable to think of somebody that went through so much trauma, so much fuck it, so many years of um hectic drug abuse. You know, IV drug abuse. Like to to have a look what you look like today is just yeah. Pat yourself on the back, brother. But that my my message through how I look. Is hard work. Yeah. If you're committed, and I say that to people, you know, I say that to If you work hard enough, you can have anything you want. You want a good body, you want fucking abs, you want, man, you know, I went out today to lunch today with a girl, the best looking girl in my gym. She's fucking Miss Bikini World. Yeah. So she's a fucking hammer. I took her out. I'm not saying that's, and I don't, and it's not in a sexualized way. She's a fucking, she's girlfriend material and possible, you know, but yeah, she's yeah. just a beautiful, a beautiful soul. And, and you know, I, I get phone calls from Mark Burris, one of the fucking smartest businessmen in Australia. And, and, you know, I hate to use that fake cliche, your vibe attracts your tribe, but when you're putting out positive vibrations, good people, good things come into your life, you know? Yeah. If you put out shit, hater behavior, if you're putting out shit, hater behavior, shit, hater behavior will come into your life. Shit, people will come into your life. Yeah. You know, if you're looking for the bad in fucking something, bad will come into your life. Yeah. I'm always looking for positivity. Mark Bruce said to me the other day, you know, he said, Russell, like, he said, you, your greatest asset is your curiosity. Yep. And he said, because you ask why and how. How do you do it? How do you do it? You want to know yeah. about how things work. And yeah. I think, you know, it's true. Like, you want to get clean. You want to know how you get clean. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You Fucking know, earth, yeah. You know, yeah. and, and that's. And I get that. I, I get it. I'm so blessed that I've got that curiosity. Universe, man, give me God, universe. Call it what you, I just call it universe. Yeah. Man. And it has Whatever it is, it's a fucking beautiful thing, bro, isn't it? It's like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's made me believe. And I just, I pinch myself. You know, I've got my, got my gratitude list here. I, I hit it every day, you know. <laughs> and I, I've got my routines and but that gratitude list, when when I'm when, like you know, I, I I meant to write five things. When I write twenty, man, the next day, so what's in my life is tenfold, and I've got tenfold gratitude. So I could write fifty. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So young people, don't give up. Don't give up. You know, something like get hard. It's hard for the reason. Suck it up. Fuck that. Turn that fucking hard time into resilience. Yeah, for sure, brother. Look, we're coming to an end, Russ. Um, yeah, oh man, it's been it's been a cracker. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Thank likewise, you. bro. I'm uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to putting this one out for sure, brother. But um, look, just quickly, bro. Um, you know, if there, maybe there's some people that, that uh, watch my stuff that don't know of you that that are now interested in you, where can people find you, bro? Give us a spill on your socials. Oh man, Russell underscore Mansa, M A N S C R on Instagram. Russell underscore Mansa 
und TikTok, Russell Mansa und uh, Facebook. I answer every single message and you know, fucking, it's frustrating because Instagram's taken the, like, I, I always add voice message, but you've got to fucking type a few messages before you can do a voice message. You know? yeah. But I always answer, anyone sends me a message, I'm in my phone all the time, so I answer all messages. If it's through the abuse work or just fucking mentoring, you know, I've just got a good gig, gig with, you know, I'm doing a lot with kids and their families at the moment and possibly a couple of NRL football clubs. But, um, yeah, unreal, bro. Yeah. Was that the good news yeah, you yeah. wanted to spill, was it? You, you mentioned you had a bit of um, really yeah, good news. Yeah, you know, and we got that. And, and you know, I've got another book that will be released September. So we're just in the talks with publishers and that at the moment. So we've a really red hot author. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've just got so much good coming and going on in my life. And like, when I say that, just I love meeting new people. I, you know, I went to the boxing last night and met fucking heaps, you know. And, um, and he's a Mount Druid as well. It was just like a Mount Druid fucking reunion. Yeah, but, I, I, but the most important thing I say to anyone, man, find your peace of mind and find your happiness, you know, and um, and you do that when you baby yourself in fucking gratitude, you know. Yeah. It's not hard. I mean, it's fucking quite simple. Once you start to really suck it in and truly be grateful, man, your life will fucking, uh, that universe will go fucking, there, there you go. It will fucking shine upon you. Well said, brother. All right, bro, we'll wrap it up there. I really appreciate it, bro. And, and like I said, you're a fucking inspiration, brother. I um, I look forward to, to, to watching you um, watching you more in the future, brother. Guys, that's Russell, that's Russell Manson, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Cheers. Thank you, brother.